In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 1 to 32. Again, Acts 26, verses 1 to 32. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusation of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King Agrippa. Why is it that though incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I promised them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, and shone round around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, 
I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to the, in Damascus that in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. You are, your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things to him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things had escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And King Agrippa said to Paul, in short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that only you, but also who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for this change. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said one to another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And verse 32, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Good morning. We are still on the series on our core values, and this one would fall under intentional evangelism and uh, discipleship. Based on Acts chapter 26, verses 1 to 32, the whole chapter, basically. And uh, the title is My Story and the Gospel. And we have discussed this on our Proclaim training in terms of how to proclaim the gospel and evangelize. So when Paul visited Jerusalem, the Jews started a riot. And the rioters came from Asia, or right now Turkey. So they visit these Jewish people from, from Turkey, went to Jerusalem, and when they see Paul uh, going through some ceremonies because James and the rest of the brothers advised him that for the sake that there is peace and there is no riot here or there is no conflict, you'd, it's best that you go through this and even pay for the others who would like to go through the ceremony with you. And Paul agreed. However, those things changed when the Jewish people from Asia came and started a riot. And, uh, and they wanted him dead. But the Roman soldiers put him under their protection 
because basically of the riot. And then in front of the crowd, Paul narrated his story, and you'll find this in chapter 22 of Acts, verses 1 to 21. Now he described who he was before and how God called him. Yet the crowd accused him and demanded his death. And then the soldiers brought Paul to several high-ranking officials until he faced King Agrippa. Take note that King Agrippa is not the king that is independent from Rome. Uh, the Jewish people were under Rome during this time. So uh, this is, he is not the real king as like David or Solomon, not at that level, because he reports to Caesar, uh, the Roman emperor, who is emperor of the empire, which is a collection of, of composed, I mean, of many nations. Yet King Agrippa uh, can hear cases uh, of the Jewish people. That's why he was presented. Paul was presented. Take note that Paul was not only a Jew by birth, he was also a Roman citizen. That is why he must be protected because he, there's due process, especially for the Roman citizens. And that's why the Roman soldiers protected him, knowing that he is a Roman citizen as well. Now, during the hearing in his defense, Paul took the opportunity to tell his story and the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And uh, he made actually a testimony, shared his testimony as he defended himself because it is interrelated, his story and his defense against the accusation of the Jews. What was the accusation of the Jews? That, well, because he was, they said he was teaching against Moses. He was teaching against Moses, and for the Jewish people, Moses is one of the most prominent figures in their religion. So he was speaking against Moses, uh, although what Paul was preaching is, by the grace of God, we are, the law was fulfilled. Uh, what he was preaching is, uh, well, we are not saved by the works of the law, we are saved by the grace of God, we are justified by faith. Uh, he is not speaking against Moses. He's just saying that Christ is the fulfillment of the promises, promised under Moses and even through the prophets. Of course, the crowd would not listen. Point number one, Paul told his story. Now, Paul used his story to defend against the accusations. And then Paul's story included three things. Letter A, his former life. And you'll find that in verses 9 to 11, which we will read in a while. And let her be the turning point. The turning point of his life in terms of something became clear to him. And that was a turning point. And that you'll find that in verses 12 to 18. And let her see what happened after or what did Paul do after. Uh, which was to preach repentance and to live. Uh, and he preached repentance and he preached that people should live according to their repentance. Uh, uh, so... That's found in verses 19 to 21. Now let's, let's read them. First, let's read verses 9 to 11, where Paul mentioned about his former life. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And we know that if you read the earlier part of Acts, uh, he was, uh, especially in Acts chapter 8, where they were scattered and Paul was one of the main proponents that were persecuting uh, the Jewish people. And he was opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, and I did so in Jerusalem 
I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, which signifies that, that most likely he was part of the ruling council, or at least he had a vote, uh, and uh, I voted against them. Should we put this person to death? Because this person believes in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, so he voted against them. So that was his former way of life. So in, in, in presenting his defense, which was also telling his story, he first told who he was before. Verse 11, And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Well, he was making them blaspheme to make them guilty. He was setting traps. Uh, when we say traps, these are questions to entrap somebody. And we often hear that lawyers do that at times in a hearing where they ask uh, very difficult questions to try to entrap, uh, to trap the witness to say, something, to say something wrong. And this was what Paul was doing. He was finding a reason. He was finding a reason or reasons to stop this movement to stop the name of Jesus from spreading, for people to stop saying that he rose again from the dead. He was one of the prime enemies of the gospel. And when he said the synagogues, we're talking about these, uh, uh, these worship locations of Jewish people. When they were scattered since Babylon, when they settled in, since they cannot go back to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, they established synagogues. And in these synagogues, they were able to study the law. They would read uh, the Old Testament from there. And these synagogues are composed sometimes of only 10 people or more. So he said, I went to the synagogues because many of the believing Jews still went to the synagogue. Because again, they, they see the connection of Moses and the prophets and Christ as the fulfillment. Again, Christ was a Jew. And, and they still felt like they belonged to the synagogue. And it was somewhere in AD 60, well, we studied the book of Hebrews, where the rabbis were trying to divide. Whether either you stay here or you go there. You, you choose only one. And these rabbis wanted a, became more purist. It's either we, we don't agree with, with Jesus of Nazareth, there are other rabbis we agree on their writings but, and teachings, but not this person. And uh, so he went to these synagogues all over, and he even went to foreign cities. Now, now and that was what he was saying. This was who I was before. He had to make it clear, me before Christ. And then he had to now go to the turning point. What happened? What happened to you, Paul? Why am, what happened to me? Why I am preaching about Jesus Christ? And how from before that I zealously persecuted the Jews, even wanting them dead, but now I am now preaching Jesus. So he's saying, I'm not faking this. And if you look at Paul, he never lived a luxurious life. He was living for something and fighting for something and preaching something he deeply believed in. So those who say this is a conspiracy because they, they, they will be gaining something, look, these people, these apostles died for him. So sometimes when I talk to certain atheists, I mean, are you willing to die for what you believe in, that there is no God? Are you willing to be tortured? 
Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing? Uh, most of them would not because you're not most of them are not really sure. You're still not sure. Deep inside, there might be a God that's still inside of them. Uh, even of those who are very staunch in saying there is no God. Uh, let me tell this story again. And this story is from UP Los Banos. And, uh, and there, were, uh, there was a time when, when the idea of Marxism and Leninism and Maoism was, was kind of had a, having a foothold on that university. Well, in almost all UP systems, actually. But uh, there was this professor who keeps arguing about the existence of God. Then in 91, there was a powerful earthquake where the epicenter was Nueva Ecija and there was another in Baguio. And it reached all the way to southern Luzon. I mean, southern Tagalog. We, we felt it in the university and it was strong. And much like the earthquakes we felt here, although we did not hear news of buildings collapsing unlike during that time, uh, the Hyatt five-star hotel in Baguio crashed. I mean, it, it crumbled and many died. And, uh, and uh, well, to continue my story, they all tried to take cover. And then after the, the shaking, uh, the professor said, God must be punishing us. Somebody who says there is no God, then after an earthquake, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, God must be punishing us. Somehow deep inside, those who say that went in front. So usually I ask them for a conversation. I don't ask them for a debate. Some don't like debates because they don't want to be ashamed or, or be brought to shame. So I say, let's have a conversation. And one of the latest conversations I had with an atheist was, he says he believes in science. And I, I said, well, how come some of the best scientists in history were believers? And then I, I mentioned a few names that really made science, I mean, these top scientists in history and said, okay, let's check your science. So when I challenged the science, of course, they ended up believing. Now, Paul was saying this was his story, and he was presenting this before, before people. Now, there are, we will face different kinds, but one of the powerful things we can do is just simply to tell your story, who I was before first, and then during the turning point, what happened during the turning point. And then he began to share about his turning point. Let's look at verse 12. And it says here, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, and that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was his Jewish name, Paul was his Roman name, okay? It's the same person, okay? So uh, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. So what's a goad? It's something you use to shepherd uh, uh, goats, actually. Kicking against it, it's like a pointed thing. I mean, you're going to hurt yourself. I think that was what the Lord was saying. It's like you kicking against me, you're going to hurt yourself and uh, and, of course, if you look at the story, he got blinded during that time. Okay? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you 
are persecuting. Remember, though Jesus, it was really the body of Christ that was persecuted. Again, that was his body. Those were his representatives on earth. If you truly believe in Christ, repented of your sins. And when I say believe in Christ, you believe in the Holy Scriptures. You cannot say, I believe in religion, and not, and, and, um, but not the Bible. I mean, that, that means you don't believe in Christ. I mean, they believe in, if you believe in Christ, you are his representatives. What harm they do to you because of your faith, they are doing to the Lord. Well, take note, it's because of your faith, not because you're arrogant, not because you're, you're, you're full of yourself, egotistic. That's a different thing. Now, some people would say, I'm being persecuted. But when I analyze carefully, no, you're just egotistic. That's why people don't like you. If you're persecuted for your faith, it's because of the message you proclaim and the life you live. And they don't like it. And because they don't like it, people will not like you. But when that happens, according to this, it's really what they're actually doing it to. Who they're doing it to is to Christ himself. Um, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified in faith, by faith in me. So uh, this is a loaded text, 12 to 18. It's a loaded text. It's good to really study this line by line. But the Lord already commissioned him during the time of his salvation or during the time of his meeting with the Lord. There was already the commission on what he had to do. I remember as a young believer, these exact verses, when I was just reading the Bible every day, suddenly my heart felt warmed and I stopped there and it just hit me hard, and these verses were so strong. And I was, I think, a one-month believer then, and I felt the commission to, uh, to, to go. Of course, this was spoken to Paul, but it was also speaking to me in a manner of saying, because this is, this is for every believer, and I hope, uh, I believe every true believer has this sense, um, that this sense that I must proclaim the gospel. I must turn others from darkness to light. There's that desire first from your, to your relatives, to your friends, and then to other people. And this is a thing that, that Paul experienced. He said, during that time, I saw a bright light, etc. And then this was the message. And it was the Lord Jesus who spoke to him. And then uh, there was a mention about forgiveness of sins. And there was a mention about faith in Christ. And, and that is the main message. That was what happened to him. Now... Um, when we tell our story, and I think we should tell our story, which we, we tell them who we were before. Now, if I'm going to tell you my story briefly, who I was before, I was, uh, I was lost. I was religious in a manner of speaking. I was trying to be religious uh, because I thought that was the way to heaven. And I thought because my exposure was within a religion, I studied in Ateneo de Manila, and I tried to be faithful. I tried to do good works because I thought my good works should outbalance my bad works or the sins I commit. I thought it was a balancing act um, until one time in my seeking and my searching, and I felt like I was going nowhere. 
And a friend said, would you like to come with me and uh, to a certain gathering like this? And somebody was preaching on Romans 3, and it was about justification by faith. Suddenly, there was clarity in me that it was by faith. Something so clear. But again, during that time, it, was, it hit me hard. And I didn't know fully everything that was being spoken, but I felt within my heart, I have found what I was looking for. But rather, right now, it's not me who found it. It was the Lord who found me and drew me to him. But after that, just, just a month after that, I was advised, why don't you just start reading the Bible? And we know that the Bible reading was not highly promoted by every religion because they, they believe only their ministers can, can interpret the Bible. And that was the, the battle cry of Martin Luther, that uh, the believer, every believer can study the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit can enlighten them. And so when I started reading, and uh, I never saw it before, the beauty of Scripture. Somehow I was hooked, and I never experienced that. It was something deeply spiritual. It was not something intellectual. It was just, a, it wasn't, of course, it was also intellectual because I was reading. But it was just something that made me keep coming back every day. And suddenly, I like listening to songs that offer glory to God. And some of those songs were much simpler then. There was a sing hallelujah to the Lord. There was uh, open our eyes, Lord, because we want to see Jesus. And, and, but before that, I would, you know, but that song had many funny, funny situations because some worship leaders would say, let's all close our eyes and meditate. And let's sing this song, Open Our Eyes, Lord. And so you just told us to close our eyes. Now we're going to sing, Open Our Eyes. Open Our Eyes, Lord. So it's kind of a weird thing. But again, there was that, that, that clear turning point that Paul mentioned. And then, uh, now, if you don't have a turning point, it, it can be a very specific point. It could be a season in your life, not really a specific point, a season. Like for several months, there were some changes that happened to me in my perspective of the Lord and Scripture and my understanding of faith and the way I'm living it. There was a change. But a lot of you have that experience of a turning point. You can tell the story of these are the sequences that happened and suddenly, boom. And we see that as a miracle. This is a miracle with Paul in the sense is a person totally opposite, the ones upon a time really attacking the church, then suddenly now defending the church and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a real turning point. Now, I'm not saying when you meet the Lord, you suddenly become a perfect person. No, it's a process of sanctification. That's why we have to continue studying the scripture because we are never complete. We must always be humble to say, there's a lot of things that need working in me. My morality has to continuously improve. The way I think, the way I speak, the way I act, the way I relate to my family, the way I relate to others, it's a continuous improvement that is needed when we need the grace of God. And we cannot do it by ourselves. Now, what we cannot do is Paul never positioned himself how he, how moral he was. He was already kind of moral before because he was a Pharisee. He was a religious freak. Oh, for, forgive me, for it's a modern lingo. So he was so religious, he was Pharisee, he was so zealous in terms of doing, defending the law against this Jesus freaks. Again, forgive me, just trying to be modern. Uh, 
And he was proactive in it. He did not lay back. He was proactive. But then there was a sudden change. And we hear these stories from ourselves here if we just listen to the stories of one another, how some of us were religious and then suddenly we realize it's through faith and not religion. Yet some of us have were, were, were immoral, immorally in, in low in our, in our lives. I mean, cheating on our, our, our wives or, or even uh, or getting drunk all the time, etc., and doing the worst things, or hurting others verbally, emotionally, and physically, and then a turning point happened, and somehow there was some change that happened. And uh, we can ex we, some of us can say that. Now, what if you have not? Then this is my advice to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. But even as you seek, it's only the Lord who draws you to Him. But if you have no desire for it, and that would be a concern for me and for others. When you come here and see, hear this as an intellectual thing, but you still want to pursue your own agenda of pleasure, which is what the world is offering, it's, it's the pleasure of everything. Uh, online, you can find many things. You can, you can, it's a starting point of experiencing what the Bible calls sin and and. and and they get the target becomes younger and younger and younger. But I pray that you will, you will never give in, but rather see the Lord. Now there was going back, there was a turning point. But then after this, something happened after. Then after the turning point, what did Paul do? And, and he explained it also to Agrippa, verse 19. Let's read verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. It means after that, I was not disobedient. Now, when you hear the gospel, when Jesus said in Luke 24 that uh, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we truly repented of our sins uh, uh, and, and then take note, we are commissioned to proclaim the gospel as well. We must not be disobedient to the heavenly vision. But Paul was saying, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles. So everywhere, that, what did he do? Uh, he did, what did he declare? Let's read on. That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Take note. This was what he proclaimed. Now, when presenting the gospel, the emphasis definitely should be Christ and who he is and what he did. He su suffered, died, and resurrected because of our sin. And because he's resurrected, he has defeated death. He is powerful. Uh, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. He is sovereign, seated at the right hand. We know who Christ is. We proclaim that, even though people have heard it a hundred times, we still proclaim it. But then what's connected with it? Many believe it, but what's connected with it? What's connected with it is repentance. And... To turn to God. Repent and turn to God. Now, the, the phrase turn to God, it's also another phrase for faith. Although the word faith was mentioned earlier in, in, in verse 18, the word faith was mentioned. So, the, the term turn to God. Now, I'd like to make a side note here that the modern way of preaching has, has somehow veered away from the emphasis of repentance and turning to God. And the focus is more of, they use the term more of acceptance. 
That's why the turning point, they, they use the term the, the day I accepted. So I said, what happened when you accepted? I prayed a sinner's prayer. In Filipino, tinanggap ko. And then the, the, the way na tinanggap ko is a sinner's prayer. If you look at Paul, he did not do that. He said, everywhere I went, I did not, he did not say, I proclaimed acceptance and the sinner's prayer. And I accept, I, I, from everywhere I went, I told them to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's not the phrase that he used. There was a story about, I think it was Mark Dever, and I heard uh, a, a preacher from the U.S. He said he, when he went, I believe he went to New York, and he got into a taxi, a cab, and he started proclaiming the gospel. And then the taxi driver said, oh, just so you know, I accepted Jesus five times already. And uh, if the word was accept, people would say, I already did. But if you said, did you truly repent of your sins? Did you turn to him? I mean, did you really, are you deeply sorry for your sins? And did you change your mind about them and about your life and really have faith? And faith meaning, do you follow him? If you use those questions, did you, do you follow him? Now, that's a different thing. Most people would say, I'm not sure. But many would say, I have accepted because many of the evangelicals today have been preaching a gospel that is, uh, some would say, diluted. It's not the real thing. If somebody gives me coffee and it's diluted five times with water, that's no longer coffee. That's water with coffee, right? <laughs> it's not the real thing. Now, the gospel must be as pure as it is. So my encouragement to us here in our church community to the others watching who do not belong to our church community, please assess. How can we preach the gospel and to be as close to the preaching, how Christ preached it and how the apostles preached it in the New Testament? And how can we align more both to the narratives and to the epistles on how they do it? Of course, some of us will justify. Isn't John 1.12, he didn't say uh, to those who received him, he gave the power to become children of God. Yes, yes, and that is accurate. But nowhere in John, the writings of John, did Jesus say, accept me as your Lord and Savior. No, no, no. It says you, you believe in him, you'll have everlasting life. But those who do not believe are already condemned, are already judged. Some say there's no repentance in the book of John. There is. It's in another form. What did it say? If you love me, then keep my commandments. It's in another form, but it is there. So what Paul was saying, so if you belong to this community, all right, and if you insist on, on preaching in a popular version, but less on the, my encouragement is let's do it as close to the scripture as possible. If the emphasis is repentance and faith, let's do that. If you try to insist in your own way, I'll have to talk to you one day, and I'll have to make you choose if you want to stay with us. Hey, I still love you, okay, by the grace of God, but I'm more loyal to scripture than to personalities, than even our own relationship. And I believe in this so much, that the purity of the gospel. Some preachers like me are more ferocious in the sense that they said, I have declared war on the sinner's prayer. You'll find that somewhere in multimedia. 
I have been warring against this since the 90s. The first turning point was reading the book, the gospel, today's gospel, authentic or synthetic. It's a little small book, but it hit me hard in making me think, what is the gospel of Christ? Now, since there's church growth movement in wanting our churches to grow, they have made it easier for people to come in. No, we don't make it easier. We don't make it harder. We just preach the gospel as we see it. It says here, he proclaimed repentance. Where? In Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the Gentiles, wider range. What did he preach? Repentance and to turn to God. Why don't we preach this? And Because this was the instruction of Jesus as well in Luke 24. That repentance for the forgiveness should be preached. But Pastor Ed, I think I was saved during the time I accepted. No, Scripture says you were justified by faith, not by a sinner's prayer. You may have said the prayer, but it was the faith. Now, there's also the question of, somebody told me, please explain to me. My husband already uh, responded to an altar call, and he followed the prayer but he's still the same bad, bad, bad person. I don't see the change. There's no fruit of repentance. I said, because he didn't repent. He just walked down there and he recited something. That doesn't, it's when you are justified by faith. You can walk, you can pray, but if there's no faith there, it's possible to have said the prayer without the faith. Then how can we know? No, only God can know. Therefore, it is, remember, in Romans 8, it's the Holy Spirit who assures us of our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit who assures us of salvation. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's not us. I don't tell people after I believe they had faith, you are now saved. They would sense it, that they have that relationship. Why? It's not, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit at work. Now, some of you here don't understand. What in the world are you talking about? Because you never went through it. You just heard, believe in the gospel, read the scriptures. And as reading, you were repenting as you were reading the scriptures. That was happening to you. And I would like to say that's the normal thing. Now, what happened after... Well, uh, let's continue. Also to the Gentiles, verse 21, for this reason, now his defense, it's this reason that the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Now, next point, Paul proclaimed the gospel. Paul claimed that Christ fulfilled the, what Moses and the Old Testament prophets wrote. Paul proclaimed the suffering and resurrection of Christ and the gospel would, would give light to both Jews and Gentiles. Let's read verses 22 and 23. To this day, this is what happened after. To this day, I have had the help, had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Both small and great meaning people her of a, of a dignitary noble class, which are in people in position like King Agrippa, and those are simple folks, like many, that uh, saying nothing but what? The prophets in Moses would have to come to pass. Now he's defending that I'm not against Moses. What I'm preaching is the fulfillment of Moses. 
that the Christ must suffer, again, this is the gospel, that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, take note, the suffering and resurrection. Well, when you say rise from the dead, it's assumed that he died. So when Jesus said in Luke 24 that we must proclaim the suffering, that the Christ should suffer and die and rise again on the third day, and, uh, and we would say the, the gospel, all gospel presentation should have that. Now, Paul was saying this. Uh, he would proclaim, now who? Christ. Uh, who would proclaim both to our people and to the Gentiles. We are instruments. Paul was an instrument of Christ, but it was really Christ through, through us. The gospel, Christ is spreading the gospel through his people. Now, you would see here the critical elements of the gospel. Again, it includes Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament writings. The Christ must suffer and rise again from the dead. He would proclaim light to the Jewish people and the, the Gentiles. And then what was the response? The excellent Festus and King Agrippa did not respond positively to the gospel. It was not positive. Festus thought that Paul was insane or losing his mind. And the king interrupted Paul's attempt to persuade him. However, the council did not find Paul guilty. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Festus thought that Paul was insane. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Alam sa Tagalog, kasabihan din yun eh. Sa sobrang aral, nabaliw na. No, kaya yung mga magulang, akala naman nila sobra ng pag-aaral ng anak. Anak, dahan-dahan lang, baka mabaliw ka na. Relax lang po kayo. Nangyayari lang yun sa konti. Hindi pa mababaliw yan, malayong-malayo pa. Ang sabihin mo, mag-aaral ka pa, pero magpahinga ka. Ilan naman kailangan. Magpahinga ka at mag-socialize ka naman. Okay? So, and going back, uh, and Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. It means the story about Jesus and, and these believers have been happening. The king knows about this. King Agrippa, now he addresses King Agrippa. He was going to try to proclaim directly to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Again, he's establishing something. You believe, I believe. Okay, next. But King Agrippa, being the judge that he was, was very quick in his mind and said, Paul, in a short time, or do you think in a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul's response was, and Paul said, whether short or a long time, Special note, when you are reaching somebody with the gospel, whether short or a long time. Some of you who are here, I spent years befriending you. Years befriending you. So that some of you are very long. Some of you are very quick, actually. I mean, praise God. Hallelujah. But some were very long. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, which is what a Christian except for these chains. Now, we know that Paul would be patient and uh, he would have been released, but he wanted to do the same thing to Caesar. Ah, never got that opportunity, but he tried. 
Next. Then the king rose and the governor and the Bernese and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now quickly, our application. Share your story. Write your short story. Start with a simple outline, letter A, what was my life before? No, write it down. Write it down, because one day, if ever you die because of COVID or something else, you would want somebody reading your story. Or record yourself, at least. Then letter B, what was the turning point because of the gospel? What was that turning point that somehow there was a change within you, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Word of God, or the gospel? You mentioned the turning point. And let her see, what are you doing now? But may I advise, as Paul did, he did not make himself a moral giant in his story. Don't do that. Don't do that. Even though you have been delivered from drunkenness or womanizing, don't mention how such a moral giant you are. Even though, by God's grace, you are not doing it. Always come to the point of, by the grace of God alone, and I pray till I live, I will not fall to these things but I stand by grace alone, not in my own strength. Well, you are determined never to do it again, but you never tell the story of, and that's the big mistake of many believers and even preachers when we are moralizing everything all the time. It's always what we should do and not do, rather than admitting who we are, more of us a wretched sinner, needing of the grace of God. That is the emphasis. And as we walk in the sanctified life, we need that every day, the grace of God, because living the sanctified life or trying to live a holy life needs what? Our full dependence on God. Yet we can tell the story, praise God, I could resist the temptation, yet never put pride within your heart that it wasn't you, never you. And that was our mistake many times when we were younger as believers, but rather would say, it is the grace of God. Then people, because if it's about you, how you have changed yourself. You know what's going to happen? People are going to say, I can't do that, what you did. But if you keep saying it wasn't me, all I had to do was to be humble enough, desperate enough for him. And that's when God makes his move. He brings us to the point of needing him. He brings us to the point that believing on him alone, that we cannot save ourselves, that nobody can save us except Christ himself. It is bringing people to that point. That is proclaiming the gospel. That people would sense and feel how wretched I am and they have to hear it from us. I am, I was a wretched sinner saved by grace alone. Do I want to obey? Yes, by God's grace, I am obeying him. Am I perfect? Definitely not. Never. But do I have a heart? Yes, was something that happened. He changed my heart. That before, I didn't want to obey. The difference is I want to obey. Will I struggle in obedience every now and then? Yes. But what was the big difference? There was a change of heart. There was that forgiveness from him, and there's that relationship with him. 
So share your story. So let her see what I am now, we write, and what I do now, then practice telling your story. Who do you tell your story to? To your growth group mates, to your friends. Of course, find somebody. If you're shy, some of us here are shy, right? Filipinos are shy. Uh, find little kids to listen to you first. But you have to do it. Uh, or you, you treat them to food or something, or, or, or something they like, and then, but you have to listen. Let these little children come, Jesus said. Let them come to me. Do not stop them. If you think adults are so difficult to proclaim to, well, you still have to. But if there's more reception with the young, then do so. But the worst thing is not doing anything. Not doing anything. Paul was rejected, and we will be rejected. But faith of little children will not easily reject. That's why the Lord mentioned about the childlike faith, having childlike faith. Number two, proclaim the gospel. In your story, within it must be the clear gospel, which is what? Uh, A, Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan to save souls, as we read in, through Moses and the prophets. Letter B, Christ suffered the judgment meant for us, and he died as a sacrifice for our sins. And C, Christ rose again from the dead, and, the, and all should believe in the gospel and repent of their sins. Just say it. Just say it. You don't have to be a moral giant to begin proclaiming the gospel. You understand? Some are saying, I'll wait to become morally mature. <laughs> Just proclaim the gospel. Okay? If you think you, you have issues, then be open with it. I'm a terrible sinner. Because Paul, after 20 years of ministry, if you read these Letters still felt that way. He never graduated from feeling like a terrible sinner. And neither should we. But please remember, our story, our personal story, is not the main event. The main story is his story, which is the gospel of Christ. However, we must carefully and accurately explain the gospel by not adding non-essentials, which leads to adulteration. What are the non-essentials? Again, over-reliance over on a sinner's prayer, over-reliance on the word accept, 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 accept. Why not just say repent, 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 repent? Why not say faith, 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 faith? You emphasize the right things. Don't emphasize the weaker things. How many times did it say that they have to repent? How many times did it say the word receive once? But some of us are so hard-headed, we want our tradition to prevail. Yeah, because some of us are old dogs who can't learn new tricks. You know, once you learn a certain age, the dog could learn to sit, to roll over, come. And after a while, he can't learn new tricks. Very hard. Can't obey. Hard to train. You know, some of you are hard to train. Tegas ulu. I said, look at scripture. I said, look at scripture. You're making the others the basis rather than scripture? I'm so happy with, I'm, again, I've been sharing, I've been teaching a doctor of ministry program in a seminary. 
and I really enjoyed. And, and these are, some of them are bishops, some of them lead congregations. We're talking about thousands of members of representation. When I challenged in terms of how we proclaim the gospel today, they stopped and they thought. And they said, right. Why? Because they can think. You just have to show it to them. Now, observe the response. Third point, observe the response. Most will not respond positively to the call to repent and believe. But do not be discouraged. It is God who draws people to Christ, not us. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. But if some of your listeners repent and believe, then you have to invite them to study God's word with you. If you cannot lead them, invite them to a group that you belong to. So let others lead them, but you can be instrumental. So let us exercise patience and prayer to those who do not respond in repentance. There might be other times to discuss with them or the Lord might use other people. Similar to what Paul said that in a short or long time, we will hope, we will try. Whether short or a long time, doesn't matter as long as. So people of God, please be very patient. Don't go to one place and then do a nice feeding program, proclaim the gospel and leave them. You have to follow through. We have to say, may I invite you? Uh, you don't speak in your birthday and you proclaim and not invite others to a study with you. You have to try to invite. Whether they like it or not, you have to make that attempt. Some never make that attempt. They're just full of activities. Too many activities. Remember, it's not these Christian activities. The main is still the gospel. After Jesus did so many good works, in the end, he said, make disciples. In the end, he said what? Proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We will have to do many good works, but that's not the main focus. It's the gospel. And you will not change somebody. It is the gospel. Take note in Romans 1. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, not us. It's the gospel. So we have to find ways for people to be exposed with the gospel. Whatever way, we have to find it. But we have to be very patient. If they believe and repent, let's try to meet them consistently and to learn the scriptures and pray together. I share to you right now a poem called Turning Point. Oh, tell the story of your life. It could be a life filled with strife. Receiving it or causing it, all our sins we have to admit. We acted like God's enemies with lust, anger, and jealousies. We lied, cheated, and we rebelled. The holy scriptures not upheld. Perhaps full of desperation, lonesome and in isolation. Could it be filled with deception or endless manipulations? And then there was a turning point, the day that the Lord did appoint, a day it might be known or unknown, the moment we bowed to the throne. We believed, thus we repented, our many sins we lamented, and rejoiced in his forgiveness, because he cleansed our uncleanness. Gift from the God of creation, Christ suffered the crucifixion. Through his death and resurrection, we have come to know salvation. By grace, we live for him alone, founded on the chief cornerstone. Therefore, the gospel we proclaim, we preach repentance in his name. 
Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Give us the courage, the grace to proclaim your gospel and find ways to tell the story for people like hearing stories. Find us, give us wisdom how we can inject it in a casual conversation or even in a point in a formal setting. Yet most of the time we pray, even on a personal level, may we proclaim, may we tell a story, may we tell others, you know, something happened to me, let me tell you my story. We pray that those we tell our story to, that their ears would be open. And whatever their response would be, our doors will be open for him or her until they are ready. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Our story is not really our story. It's your story, how you reached out to us. Teach us never to focus on our morality, but focus on you. Although we must obey you, we must live moral lives, yet that is not the gospel. The gospel is what you did, how you justified us through your death and through faith alone. And that faith produces sanctification, meaning the fruit of repentance. We thank you, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.